Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. How many believe this morning that we live in a messed up world? Come on. Messed up world. And with a messed up world, we can have a messed up view. Because we naturally live in a messed up world, we are going to have a messed up view. Matter of fact, many of us, we, we need the right view because we have the wrong view. And many of us in 2020, we had the wrong view. Many of us did. And how many realize 2020 was like two years ago? It feels like it was 20 years ago. But yet it feels like it was yesterday. It's kind of weird. And 2020 was one of those weird times because everybody was isolated. Everybody was on their own. And all you did was just kind of be at home. And as you were at home, you would just kind of look in the mirror. And after a while, you would just look in the mirror and go, I need a haircut badly. (laughs) Because all of us got to the point, if you have hair, sorry guys, if you have hair, you got to the point where you looked like a Chia pet. We know it. We thought a weekend, we're going, oh, I'll get it next week, two weeks, not a, a month later. And it's like popping out of your head. And you're like, I look like a ragamuffin right now. That's an old term, old school. But I look like, I just look like I need a haircut. And so you made the wise decision to then look in the mirror once again and go, I need to cut my own hair. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut my own hair. And you decided that it was good if you cut your own hair. You know where I'm going with this right now. And you looked in that mirror and you got another mirror and you got your razor or your clippers or, or whatever you got. And you decided to, to do the two mirror thing because you thought like I saw it on YouTube so I could do it too. And so you started to clip that hair and you go, oh, it's not too bad. And you looked at it. What you don't realize is you looked kind of businesslike in the front, but it was still partying in the back. <laughs> Why? Because you didn't have the right view. You didn't have the right view. You only saw it from one side, one angle. And this series, the Kingdom Culture series, is all about giving us the right view, the right worldview. Now, what is worldview? Let me remind you as we've entered this series, and we're in our third week now of a four-part series where we're looking at the world in God's ways. What does it mean to have a biblical worldview? What is a worldview? Well, simply put, a worldview is the way that we see ourselves, one another, and everything happening in this world. Listen to me. It's not just what we see, but it's the way we see it. Listen to me. It's not just what we see, but it's the way that we see it because everyone has a worldview, but not every one of us has a biblical worldview. That's crucial. And that we need to understand that because it's not our way. It's always we need to see it God's way because his way will allow us to see things as they truly are, not as we interpret them to be. And when we see them as they are, it becomes like a full length mirror where we get to see ourselves as we truly are. And so in this word, we've been looking at four scenes of the Bible. And these four scenes help us interpret how God views this world. And watch this, how we should view the world. And those four scenes, week one was creation. 
Week two was fall. And these are four themes in the Bible. Week three, right now, we're going to talk about is redemption. And then next week, Pastor Jacob's going to wrap up our series with the new creation. And and as we've seen week one, two weeks ago, I began to talk about, we went back to Genesis chapter one, the first book of the Bible, to see how God made things right in the beginning. We needed to see that God said everything was good and he created all things. It began with God. And he made all things good. And through Genesis 1 and through creation, it helps us see what was right in the world. Last week, Pastor Jacob had an amazing word. Please go back and listen to it. It's an amazing word where he talked on Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 about the fall. So not only did we see in creation how things were right, but we also see in the fall how things went crazy wrong and how it, things went wrong. Whereas one, Adam made one decision to rebel against God and then death, destruction has been the norm ever since. It's been the norm ever since. And unfortunately, we are born in Adam, in sin. And can I just say this? We're in huge trouble, y'all. Huge trouble. Because of one man's sin, we all have to suffer the consequences of it. It's why this morning we need to talk about redemption. We need to talk about what it is. Because today is all about that very thing, redemption. The title of this morning's message is this, The Price is Right. The Price is Right. How many remember the show, The Price is Right? Come on. It's still on, but it's not the same. Because when I was growing up, there's a man named Bob Barker that started off. Come on. And he's the original, the OG, right? He was there and he had that long microphone, right? He like, I feel like he invented that thing. Just his arm would get tired from holding it up. So he just, all he had to do was hold it here, not here, here. And he would always, you know, say this at the end, remember to get your pets spayed and neutered. For some reason, he cared about that. And we all watched The Price is Right. And because when you were sick or home from school or had nothing to do, you would, during the week, you would watch that. I remember being home and sometimes I was sick and sometimes I wasn't. And I would go in and I couldn't wait to grab my sandwich and go and watch at 11 a.m. The Price is Right. It would come on every single workday, Monday through Friday, I would watch it. And Price is Right, essentially, listen to this. If you don't know what it is, it's you would try to guess the price. You would try to guess how much it would cost to buy that item. Watch this. You would guess, and you wouldn't have to purchase it. The contestants never purchased it. They never did anything for it. But they would just guess the cost of that item. But here's the catch of it all. You had to understand the cost of something. Listen to me, church. I don't want us to guess the cost of redemption today. Because whether you know it or not, redemption costs something. And I don't want us to guess it. I want us to understand really how God, God paid the price for our redemption. Because watch this, listen to this, listen to this. When you realize the cost of something, it changes your perspective. Am I right? My, my kids have no idea, literally no idea how much stuff costs. I have little kids, five kids, ages 11, all the way to three. They have no idea how much stuff costs, right? 
when you use a number of like 1,500, 50, 100, I'm like, what's 50, 100? They're like, doesn't it cost 50, 100, dad? That's not something. Or when you say, hey, this costs $25. $25. They think it's like the most money in the world, right? So they have no idea how things cost. But as a parent, I can appreciate my mom now more than any time else. Here's why. Because I realize how much it costs to feed children. Holy cow. Right? I mean, you're all clapping for that. That's how sad it is right now. Right? You realize how much it costs. And I'm just thinking, I have five kids. She had two growing boys on a teacher's salary. She sacrificed. But I didn't realize it until I began paying for my kids. And then I went to her and I said, I'm so sorry. I ate so much food. What was I doing that for? Because I realized the cost and the sacrifice of what she did. And it changed my perspective forever. It changed it forever. Listen to me. When we truly understand redemption and the cost of redemption, it will change the way we view the world. This is why it's so important as we're going through our biblical worldview and how to see the world God's way. It's because this is God's major theme in the Bible. What do you mean by that, Pastor Chris? What I mean by that is Genesis 1 and 2 cover about three pages in my Bible. I don't know about yours. We don't get to redemption until the book of Matthew. That's like 90% of this book. 90% of this book. Watch this. Look, listen to me. 90% 90% of this book is about God's plan to redeem us. It's his plan to get us back from the fall. It's his plan to say, I love you so much. I'm going to spend 90% of this book in order to show you how much I love you. That's huge. That's huge this morning. That's huge. Because for thousands of years, those people waited, wandering, wondering, working, trying to earn their way back to God, and they never could. But God had to redeem them. And so in order for us to really look at redemption, how many know we got to go to the redemption story and even past it? So we started this sermon series in Genesis. We're going to jump to the New Testament. We're going to jump to the New Testament to the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible study, you can open there. If not, it's going to be on the screen. You can follow along. But we're going to jump to the book of Romans where the apostle Paul is writing a letter or an epistle. You might go, stop cussing at me, Pastor. It's not a cuss word, I promise. Epistle is just called letter. And really most of the New Testament is letters from Paul to churches. You have the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are called the Gospels. You have those. The rest of them are really letters. You have the book of Acts, which is a historical document of the first century church and how the church really started. The rest of it was written mostly by Paul. And he was writing to the churches because they were being infected by the world. And he went to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to make sure you see the world God's way and not your way. And so he began laying out these things and he wrote to the church or the Christians in Rome and he wrote them in about 57 AD, about 30 years after Jesus died on the cross. And the great part about Romans is this, it it is a systematic explanation of how the world went wrong, watch this, and how God made it right. 
And so you're going, what? I thought I had to read the whole Bible for that. Nope, just one book. That's it. And so we see here what Paul is about to do is we're about to follow the text in Romans chapter one and he gives this greeting to the church and then Paul begins to write these encouraging words and here's what we're gonna pick up. Romans chapter one, starting in verse eight. Here's what it says. It says, let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. That's flattery, right? He's just, he's loving on them a little bit. Verse nine, God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. Verse 11, for I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours as well. He goes on to say this, Verse 13, but I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I've seen among other Gentiles. Now, pause. Gentiles are anything other than Jews. We are technically Gentiles because we're not born into Jewish heritage and, and, and a Jewish family. We are considered outside. We are considered the Gentiles. That's where Paul means right there. Verse 14. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. Here's where it gets good. So I am eager, he says, to come to you in Rome too, to preach the good news or the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of this good news or gospel about Christ, for it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first, And also the Gentile, this good news, this gospel tells us how much God makes us right in his sight. How great is that? This is accomplished from start to finish by works. Nope. By being good, good enough. Nope. By what? By faith. As scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. I love this passion from Paul that he couldn't wait to share this good news with those in Rome. It's, it's the gospel. That's what gospel means in Greek. It means good news. Some of us had no idea. I thought it was a biblical term. It is, but it literally means good news. Why is it good news? Listen here. Because Paul knew the power of the gospel. He knew the power of good news. Now, good news is powerful, isn't it? Oh, I know I know. when we look at regular good news, I'll say regular, not biblical good news, but regular good news, we look at sharing things like you're pregnant. My wife and I, it took us many years of infertility to, to, to get pregnant. And then God poured out more than we asked or imagined. Um, <laughs> but I remember when, when we had our first and it was like, man, how are we going to tell her? And so we, how are we going to tell my mom? Cause she'd been praying for us. And, and so we, we bought a little frame and we put the little ultrasound peanut right in there. And, and, and then we wrote like the date on it. Like she's supposed to get it. The funny thing is when she opened it, she was like, what is this? You know, but, but then she got it. And what was the reaction? Like, ah! you know, it's just screaming, running, jumping, tears. It's weird that you can be happy and crying at the same time. And it's just like tears of joy. Right. When you share good news, there's an emotion that comes out. 
It means something. I, like when you celebrate when you get that job or you get into that school that you wanted or you get into the nursing school that you've always wanted. There's the good news or, 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 or even like when you win the Super Bowl or something. I had to throw that in there right there. But think about that for a minute, right? We flash back to 2010. Some of y'all were running on cars, right? You were running like on top of car. You were dancing on cars. You, it was so interesting because when you had the good news, we won the Super Bowl. Everybody ran outside. You know I'm right. You ran outside. You just thought like, I got to go outside as quick as possible. So you run outside and you're looking around for like to tell anyone. All of Louisiana, we knew we won the Super Bowl. But yet you still wanted to tell people. Why? Because you had good news. And good news wants to be shared. It is powerful. And Paul said, I have the greatest news. It's not that you won the Super Bowl. It's better than that. How much more powerful is the news that Jesus Christ came to redeem us from our sins? It's the power of the gospel. Because the gospel just announces the good news that God made us right even when we couldn't make ourselves right. This is what it means, Paul means, by the righteousness of God. It's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness. It's him making things right for us. It's a commitment that he had to do whatever was necessary to make things right, even to send his son to die so that we could be redeemed. And then Paul goes on to say, it's not accomplished by works, but it's accomplished by faith. Meaning faith in believing in God alone will make things right in this world. So the Paul wants his readers right away to know that he has this burning desire to bring the good news. He wants them to know it's good news and he wants to bring it to him because it changes us, it redeems us. But before he goes into more detail about the good news, he spends the next two and a half chapters talking about the bad news. <laughs> why, why does he do that, Pastor Chris? Listen here, listen to this. Because you can't appreciate the good news without first understanding the bad news. You can't appreciate the good news without first understanding the bad news. So what's the bad news? Well, Paul begins to go on and say, he begins to talk about the Jews under sin. He talks about the Gentiles under sin. And then listen to what he says in Romans chapter three. This is just two chapters later. He's going on and on and on and on. Here's what he says about all of humanity. Verse nine, here's the bad news. Well, then he says, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we all, we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous. No, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. Wow, he's going in hard right now. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. I think Paul's trying to make a point here. Am I right? What's the point he's trying to make? Is it, look at me. 
every single one of us is under the power of sin. Now, some of us might go, but Pastor Chris, you don't know my grandbaby. She's an angel. She's, she can't do anything wrong. She is so precious, precious, precious. You don't know my, surely she's good. She's only three years old. Surely she's good. Paul didn't mean her. Paul was just exaggerating, right, Pastor Chris? No. You want to know how I know that even from me to an 80-year-old to a three-year-old, we're all born in sin. It's because, guess what? A three-year-old will look at you, that angel granddaughter of yours, and will say, no, right away. Hey, can you do this? Uh Uh-uh, no, not doing it. Who did she learn that from? She is born in Adam, in sin, under the power of sin, church. That is the power of sin because notice the language that Paul uses that all are under the power of sin. No one is righteous. No one is wise. No one seeks God. All have turned away. That no one is exempt from the power of sin. That's the first thing I want us to see right here is that we need redemption and it's from the power of sin. The power of sin is all around us. The power of sin is what we have a big problem with. Now, the problem of sin is this. It's not just infected us, it's affected us. But check this out. Listen to what I'm about to say. We think sin is an external problem when it always has and will always be an internal problem. The reason that I know that is because God didn't send Jesus to modify our behavior. He came to shed his blood. Watch this. To cleanse us of our sins. But many times we think Christianity or religion alone is just this behavior modification. But Jesus didn't come and say, be good. He came to die for our sins. He came so that we can have a relationship, a right standing with God to redeem us from the curse. But many times, don't we do this? We think sin is external because we can see it. We believe sin is external because it manifests itself that way. It's always easier to see sin, isn't it? Because it's easy to label something like it's a skin problem or it's a political problem or it's a gun problem or it's my wife's problem. (laughs) But what we really need to begin to think that it's really the sin within. Listen to me, I'm not minimizing those things. I'm not saying they're not problems. What I'm saying is it's deeper than just skin, it's sin. It has to be. That if you want to see the world the way that God wants to see it, he sees it as that is the root cause. It is a sin problem. It is the power of sin because we are all born sinful. We have a sin nature. We are, as Pastor Jacob said last week, we are naughty by nature, not because I hate you, okay? We are, we're naughty by nature. And we all have a sin nature and we all stink. However, some just smell worse than others. What do you mean, Pastor Chris? I mean this. 
we're not all as sinful as we could be. Let me show you. Throughout history, we see the parallels, and I'm going to parallel two extremes. Let's look at Hitler, and let's look at Mother Teresa. Those are big, big extremes, right? Well, surely Mother Teresa's good. Listen to me. She had, she had sin in her life. Hitler, we know, was sinful. We know that, right? He fulfilled his sin potential, but there was still sin in Mother Teresa's life. She still needed Jesus just like Hitler needs Jesus. So the depravity of our sin isn't measured by our sin. It's still just sin. Not all sin is created equal, but some of us have more sin than others. It doesn't make it worse. It just means we need more of Jesus. And so we need redemption. We need redemption. And that is the power of sin. And that's the point that Paul is trying to show us and the readers of the Roman church is that we have a sin problem and it's the power of sin that locks us up. And unfortunately, because of the power of sin, we have to suffer this next thing. We have to suffer the penalty of sin. Now, he goes on later, Paul goes on later in Romans 6 to say this, for the wages of sin is death. Some of us wonder why we're so We cry so much. We get emotional at funerals. Not only do we miss that other person or that loved one or that friend, it's because our nature is we were never meant to die. Death is a penalty of sin. Death is a penalty of sin. And so when we see it, we're under this penalty. So in the courtroom of God, we are all guilty and deserve death. We need redemption. But what is redemption? Redemption. I love this definition. Here's what it says. Redemption means to secure the release or recovery of persons or things by the payment of a price. Let me say it this way. It means to buy back. And the price has to be right, church. The price has to be right. So watch this. We are sold as slaves to sin. The whole world is in bondage to the power of sin and will suffer the penalty of sin unless we are liberated from someone who is willing to pay the price for our freedom. Let me spell it out. And I learned this in Economics 101 is this. There's no such thing as a free lunch. How many have heard that before? Uh, Your parents would say, there's no such thing as a free lunch. You're like, I don't want lunch. I want dinner. And you're confused. Here's what that means. Everything costs something. We get a coupon to, to, to Cane's to get a chicken fingers, right? We go there and my kids are like, we got it for free. I'm like, no, somebody paid for it. Who, daddy? I don't know. Somebody paid for it. I'll never forget Pastor Jacob telling me. He said, Chris, there's always a payment to every transaction, everything that happens. It'll either cost you resources, time, or relationship, but it'll cost you one of those. Nothing is ever free. Nothing is ever free. There's always a cost. And someone, thank you God, someone had to pay for our sins and it wasn't us and it couldn't be us. It had to be him. So I'm painting the picture right now because Paul's doing that for us. It's why Paul uses two very important words in Romans chapter 3 just a few verses down from everyone is the power of sin. Listen to this. He uses these two words, Romans 3, but now. Everybody say, but now. 
Turn to your neighbor, say, but now. Turn to your other neighbor who you don't like, say, but now. You all looked over. Awesome. He says, but now. But now. But now. Uh, What does that mean, Pastor Chris? Those are two transitional words. Let me explain it to you like this. It's the infomercial, right? Where they go on and then go... They go, if, if you do this diet or take this food or, or buy this machine, right? They go, look at me then. It's a before and after. Before, and it's like the worst picture ever. And look at me now. And they're wearing something super tight and like crossing their legs. And, right? They say, hey, here's what I was before. But now look at me. It's transitional. Paul is about to make a point here. Paul is about to go into something that should blow our minds to say, but now, but now, he he keeps going. Here's what he shows us. This is so big this morning. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. What does that mean? It, It means you don't have to try to earn it. God made it right as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophet long ago. Verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. I love this. No matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. Everyone. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, love that, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this Through Christ Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, we see that, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. For God did this, watch this, this is so good, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just. Some of us need to hear that this morning. God is fair and just. It's not fair. My life is not fair. I'm just telling you, God is, the Bible is saying it, not me. God is fair and just. Fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. It's not more plain than that, guys. It doesn't get more plain than him saying, before we were dead, we were fallen, we were broken, we were hurting. But now, when you place your faith in Jesus, you are made right. You are redeemed because you were paid for. Jesus paid for you and me. What did he pay for? He paid the price for our sins through shedding of his blood and providing cleansing for our sins. And he removed the barrier that kept us from God. That's good news. Since we've all sinned and fallen short of his standard. The very essence of sin. Listen to this. The very essence of sin is that we've missed the mark. And it's not your fault. It's not my fault. Because it's Adam's fault. We blame it all on him. (laughs) 
by nature, we, we can never hit the mark, guys. Have you ever felt like you missed the mark? Maybe as a father, as a, as a mother, as a parent, as a spouse, you feel like you missed the mark. As an employee or a boss, you missed the mark. As a leader, you've missed the mark. As a man or woman of God, you have missed the mark. As a pastor, listen to me, I have missed the mark. And I will never hit the mark on my own. But thanks be to God that he has redeemed and paid for that price so that I am able to hit that mark. It's God's glorious standard through Christ Jesus. I don't have to wonder now, am I hitting the mark? I can know I'm made right through the redemption in Christ Jesus. For we owed a debt we could not pay and he paid a debt he did not owe. So now we're freed. We're free from both the penalty and the power of sin. We are redeemed. And hallelujah, we are free. But our freedom, listen to this, our freedom is not for us. I've seen too many times where people will get free and they realize like, oh, wait, Jesus paid for my sins? Oh, now I, now I have a license to go do whatever I want. And they take that license and they do, they end up hurting a lot more. But check this out. If Jesus freed you from those sins, why would you want to go back to those sins? My father was an addict for over 40 years. Tried multiple times to stop using. Multiple times it didn't work. Finally, he got free from the substance abuse that he was under. And what he learned and what I've learned through so many different addicts and recovering addicts is this, is that you can be freed from something, but you're gonna go back to that something unless you know that you're freed for something else. So check this out. We aren't just freed from sin. We are redeemed for the presence and the purposes of God. We aren't just redeemed and freed from our sin. Yes, he is a savior. But that freedom is meant not to enjoy the pleasures of this life, but it put it towards the purpose and the presence of God. It's why people, listen, it's why people many times are okay just going to heaven, but don't know you can have heaven here on earth. They're settling for the, oh, I'll have it then, when he wants to give you and now. We settle for it. And then we go back into that sinful lifestyle, that sinful habit. We go back into that behavior because we forgot that we were redeemed for something, not just from something. Listen, when we're born again and we get saved, we get a new master. We're no longer a slave to sin. We're now slaves to Jesus in his word for God brought us out so that he can take us into the life that Jesus died to provide for us. The first Adam ruined it for us. He ruined it or ruined, as some of us say. He ruined it. But Jesus, the second Adam, came to redeem us. Now, I'm gonna close right here. 
Pastor Chris, that's great. I've heard that in church. That's wonderful. That's awesome. But how does this affect my worldview? How does this change what is happening in the world? How does it change the way I view my neighbor? How does it change the way I vote? How does it change the way I view abortion? How does it change the way I view homosexuality? How does it change? Here's how it changed. Listen to this. Here's how it changed. Because he redeemed me, it means he can redeem anyone. That no one is too far gone, that nothing is too far gone. And now when I look at the world and everybody's just spitting on it, I can look at it through God's eyes and say, no, you love the world so much that you gave your only son. My view is changed when I realize that I'm redeemed. And because I'm redeemed, he can redeem your lost son or daughter. He can redeem your father and your mother. He can redeem anyone. Because God is our hope. It changes my view because God is my hope. My wife is not my hope. My kids are not my hope. My pastor is not my hope. My church is not my hope. Look at me. My church is not my hope. My money is not my hope. My political status is not my hope. Sexuality is not my hope. God is my hope. And he is the only hope I need. Because he's the only one that redeemed me. And when we realize the depravity of ourselves and the goodness of God, that gap is called redemption. And you realize how high he pulled you up so you could view things not as we view it, but as he views it. John Newton is a famous man, not because he invented the fig Newtons, because he did not. But John Newton is actually the one who wrote Amazing Grace. Many of us know that old song that we sing. If you're not even in church, most of you know it or have heard it on the bagpipes or cried or shed a tear to it at some point. Most people don't understand the story of John. John grew up a Christian, but really didn't dedicate his life to Christ until later where he was radically transformed. Matter of fact, he was a slave owner, a prominent slave owner back in the 1700s. And it wasn't until he had a radical conversion to Jesus did he realize that what he was doing was wrong. And he became one of the foremost runners that was against the slave trade. And it was after that moment, here's so cool, listen to this, that he penned that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet this sound, who saved a wretch like me. John said this later in his 80s. He said this, although my memory is fading, two things I remember very clearly. One, I am a great sinner. But two, Christ is a great savior. He's a great savior. If you think your sin is great, his grace is even greater. You think your shame is wide, his arms are even wider. You think your hurt is deep, his love is even deeper. It's still greater. It's still greater. And so every time I turn on the news now and I see a school shooting, God, your grace is greater. Every time I see, turn on the news and I hear 
more and more depravity. I just say your grace is greater. You've redeemed us from the curse of the fall, God. I refuse to let this world dictate my view. My God in this word is going to dictate my view and I will stand on hope until the day I take my last breath. Why? Because John 3.16, Tim Tebow showed it all throughout his college career. For God so loved the world. He didn't say God so hated the world or despised the world. It said he loved the world. He loved the world that he gave. This morning, our redemption is in that verse right there, that God so loved you and you and you and me that he gave his only son, that if I just believed in him, I wouldn't perish. I would have a relationship, everlasting life with the father. So heavenly father, we thank you this morning. We pray, we thank you for all that you're doing, God for showing us your word and through your word, you're you're giving us love and your tender mercies. You're showing us that we need you, that we've been redeemed, that we are the worst of worst, God, yet you loved a sinner like me. I thank you this morning that even in our depravity and our guilt and our shame, you show us how amazing you are. So God, I will not boast in what I am not. I'm gonna boast in what you've called me to be. You've called us to be sons and daughters of the most high God. So this morning, I pray we view this world as children of God, redeemed, highly favored, and loved. God, I pray for all those in here this morning that don't know you, that maybe haven't been redeemed, haven't entered into a relationship. The gift is there. The question is, will they receive it? And this morning, I wanna offer that to you. I want to offer you that gift, the gift of redemption through Jesus Christ. It only comes by faith. What do I need to do, Pastor Chris? It's as simple as ABC. We just admit we're sinners in need of a savior. B, believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to make you right with God. And C, we confess him as savior. He saves us, but now he is Lord. He leads us in our entire lives. For some of you in here this morning, you've never made that decision. You've never made that decision. It's called being born again. I didn't, it's not about being Protestant or Catholic or joining a church or getting baptized. Those are all great things. It's about making a definitive decision to say yes to a relationship with Jesus, to be redeemed, to be redeemed. And if that's you in here this morning, on the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand. And by raising your hand, you're saying, Pastor Chris, include me in that prayer. I'm gonna pray a prayer. The prayer does not save you. Your faith, raising your hand by faith, placing it in Jesus is what saves you and makes you born again. And just like your physical birthday, your spiritual birthday only happens one time, one time where you're born again once. And if that's you in here on the count of three, without any hesitation, I want you to lift your hand. One, God brought you here for a reason. Two, he's calling you home. He's calling you to be redeemed. Three, I want you to lift your hand now. Wave it at me. I'm gonna pray for you this morning. I see you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Awesome. Anyone else? 11, I see you. 12, 13. Thank you. 14, I see you back there. 15, I see you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Last 10 seconds. 
If you want to join those 15, you should have raised your hand. If you raise it once, you don't ever have to raise it again. But if that's you, I want you to raise it now. Anyone else? Anyone? Awesome. Awesome. Well, church, with all those hands that were raised, we're going to say this prayer together. Repeat after me, dear Lord Jesus. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe that you faced hell for me so I would not have to go and rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from my sin to be born again. Say this with me. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.